are not separate from nature. We need those stories. Welcome to this episode of The Corner. My name is Zena Wood. I'm the creative producer here at Four Bank Corners. We're a production agency that's based in Amsterdam and New York. Today, I'm very excited because we have Sam Sutaria here. He is the CEO of Waterbear. Honestly, one of the most exciting companies to have ever existed on planet Earth. Wow, what an intro. Thank you. <laughs> Thank it's you. It's great to be here, Zena. Thanks for having me. Thank you for, for being here. And I wanted to also give a shout out to our mutual friend and connection and yeah. CFO. Louis, if you're listening, we love you. Thanks for hooking this up. Um, you know, I know you have to do the hard stuff back at the office and I get to sit here talking, but that's why we love you. Thank you, Louis. It's so good to have you here on the corner. I'm very happy you're here. It's really nice to be here. Thanks. So, you know, I'm going to start with the, the first question that I'm sure you've been <laughs> asked a lot. Uh, you're a CEO. <laughs> Sometimes, occasionally, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> I, as I always say, whatever needs to be done. No, yes. It's been great. I was at Waterbear since the very beginning, yeah. like some of our founding team. Uh, and yeah, taking on the CEO role. So. And when was that again? When do you uh, start? Well, I came to Amsterdam in 2019. Yeah. Uh, and it was obviously pre-COVID, pre-everything. Yeah. yeah. And we started playing around with the first iterations of the business model and then, you know, started building teams and, and raised our first financing but we launched in December 2020. So wow. it was pretty much deepest, darkest pandemic. Yeah, yeah, that is that is significant. Yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. You know, we were trying to, I remember being back in the UK that spring, or I, I'd just gone to the UK, and I said to the guys, I'll just let this COVID thing blow over. I'll, yeah. be, I'll be right back. I still can't believe we're talking about this. Um, and then, yeah. you know, six months later, I was, I was still there. Yeah, no, but I feel, you know, it has come up a lot, especially, uh, well, we speak to a lot of, creatives and like many people made works during that time you know projects just trying to get things out I also did, I made a documentary like so I feel like you know you you kind of have to still talk about it sometimes because it was significant and it also uh, led to a lot of original works being made and things so yeah and it accelerated so many trends and changes exactly and, you know, when you're trying to build a business and run a company and things yeah. like flexible working and yeah. all, the, all the good stuff uh, that we're trying to kind of champion. Yeah, you know, exactly. It really, is, it really is a way of the world now and COVID kind of accelerated that. So your team, are you all over the world? We are based in Amsterdam. Okay. I think 95% of yeah. the team is here, which we were very proud of and still are. Yes. Uh, we love the office. We try to get in three, four days a week. Yeah. Um, I think creating, ideating, innovating all has to happen together in one room. Yes. Obviously, we now have flexibility and people are in London so we've got two two or three people now in London and we've just got someone joining from the US so it's Ooh, becoming a little bit more global nice. so okay you're a CEO of Waterbear what did you do before leading up to it I mean we're going to speak a lot about Waterbear but what happened just before Waterbear so I was born in 1990 no I'm I'm really a biologist by trade I, I studied biology I absolutely fell in love with the natural world wow. um, so as a kid was running around in the bush um, maybe not your sort of bush but my sort of bush like Wales and you know, <laughs> Ireland um, and my garden uh, just and I was obsessed with nature I used to be in the pet shop the whole time I used to be you know persuading my dad to buy me fish and a tortoise and did he? You know, I was, yeah he did yeah he's, he's a good nice. guy um, and then yeah one thing led to another I went to study that and then quickly realized science was amazing, but mm -hmm. I was more interested in how you could tell the story of science rather than the science itself. And then 
fell into Love it. cameras and started fiddling around trying to figure out how to be a photographer, yeah. which I was, and I paid my beer bills through uni um, by taking photos of the nights I was at. So I was doing all the kind of club photography stuff and, and then that led to the BBC. And How did that go to the BBC? Uh, well, I basically applied and oh. managed to, I think someone was having an off day and they let me in. But um, there was a pastored kind of apprenticeship training program master's course uh, in Bristol where I was. And I, yeah, studied natural history filmmaking with the BBC and that was oh. kind of film school. So that led to to a few other things yeah incredible and where does the business side come from for you uh learning on the job um and really just a passion for building and scaling startups and teams i just really love i've always worked in small teams and entrepreneurial things i've started a few small projects myself and have built various foundations and non-profits and projects and have always been very very focused on on ideating and building and growing stuff um, now that Water Bear's getting to a, a pretty cool place, um, I'm learning how to do the other side of it, which is, okay, how do you manage? How do you, how do you scale? And that's the focus of now. But uh, I've just been obsessed my whole life with, with really trying to build stuff and come up with a different way of doing things, you know, a different yeah. measure of success for an industry or how do you challenge the status quo and do something a bit differently? And that's yeah. always kind of kept me going. You know? What would you say are the main differences for you between the scaling phase and the building phase? That's a great question. I think... When you're three, four, five people in a room trying to figure out the first iteration of anything, there's there's a freedom and flexibility just to kind of chuck stuff at a wall and see what happens. And I yeah. think, you know, when you're two, three, four years into something and, you know, you have a team of 30, 40 people, there's there's still freedom and flexibility, but it, it, it has a very different feel to it. You know, we're now dealing with OKRs and targets and team and management, and we've got almost 20 nationalities in the team, and you're trying to figure out everyone's cultural sensitivities and how to get the best out of people and you know all those amazing things so I think for me it's mainly the people side that's actually brilliant I actually having a team is just the best thing ever yeah it really is I love working in a team as well and the collaboration of course is just yeah you, you can't do that by yourself no you can't and I think with a business like ours which has multiple facets let's say which we can get into I think it's so important that everyone understands the goal the North Star where you're heading yeah but also understands their role in that and how you can champion and celebrate difference you know because there's so many different people out there yeah and um, it's impossible to try and build a team of robots and you really want and not that you would ever try to do that it's it's really trying to kind of find people who bring so many different things to the party and building something really special yeah exactly so for those who haven't heard of water bear before could you give it a short description for me three words three best more. company ever <laughs> you're welcome thank you <laughs> Uh, no, I'm kidding. We were called the Netflix for nature, uh, which I think has really worked because if you speak to a three-year-old or a 90-year-old, they kind of understand what you mean. Yeah. Uh, the slightly longer version is we're an interactive streaming platform dedicated to the future of our planet. So we are really trying to bridge what we call the knowledge action gap. You can watch great stories and you can take action that drives really measurable impact. That first hit of cold is like, it puts a massive smile on your face, but you're also like crying inside from pain. Nature's a real teacher, I think, especially in my life. It disconnects you from the rush in the the world around us. It shows you the beauty in life. And I think that slowing down really helps you think about things and process things. So I'd love to actually know, what are your measurables for impact? That is a very good and big question. How long have you got? Uh, no, we 
We're really trying to nerd out on this a little bit now. The question around measuring impact in media is a big one. Mm. There's lots of very, very clever people working on it around the world. I yeah. think the way we kind of look at it is, is the following. We need to change hearts and minds at scale, right? We need to activate citizens around the world through storytelling. So mm -hmm. getting people to really understand that they care and understand that there is hope and understand that they can be part of the solution. And that's why storytelling and mindset shift can really be a massive tool in our, in our arsenal. And that's about telling great stories and getting it into the hearts and minds of millions of people around the world and mm -hmm. using culture to do it. 15 years ago, I began a quest to save sharks from shark fin soup. We're killing up to 150 million sharks a year. How could this be happening? Sharks are now renamed and fed to us. Pet food, livestock feed, and even in cosmetics. Are they shooting? Yeah, yes. Let's go. Let's go. Go, go, go. We can measure that mindset shift by working with our audience, doing audience surveys, getting into their kind of hearts and minds, feedback sessions, yeah. analysis, impact measurement before, after. Yeah. Are you really kind of activated about this topic? And well, Sorry, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's incredibly interesting data as well because, you Massively. know, yeah, I mean, impact, uh, media of impact, is, it's something that I'm also really interested in as a producer. And there's so many different measurables, you know, you can, it's like, it's like any kind of questionnaire. It depends on what you're testing, right? Absolutely. So it's like, which ones are you going to choose or which ones are you going to mold your company to or whatever? I mean, these are really big questions. And it depends campaign to campaign. It mm. depends topic to topic. Sometimes you're going to really go after some policy. Sometimes you're going to go after some really tangible on the ground, urgent, necessary, reactive impact. You know, sometimes yeah. you're trying to do something really long term at the kind of cultural level and really shift a system. And, you know, so it really depends on, yeah. on the, the outcomes you're trying to drive and yeah. then building a strategy to kind of achieve that. So yeah. that's the kind of mindset stuff, stuff. And then obviously we're also working with lots of NGOs around the world and trying to facilitate support of their work. So raising awareness, raising eyeballs, but also facilitating direct impact to their work, which could be donations, it could be getting people and volunteers out into the field, it could be picking up litter, doing a beach cleanup, you know, there's this kind of really tangible stuff that you can get your get your teeth into. Yeah. And then the kind of the big one, obviously, is policy. You know, how, yes. how can we use our community? How can we use our storytelling, our campaigning, our partnerships to to work at the kind of policy level? We are building some really amazing strategic partnerships with people like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, who obviously are one of the leading authorities yeah. on the circular economy, trying to really see how at scale we can shift cultural attitudes towards adopting the, the more circular mindset that we really need if we're going to kind of dream and imagine our way out of this crisis. Yeah. So one thing I really want the viewers to get out of this is to really like understand Water Bear from all the different angles. Because, uh, for instance, as a filmmaker and a producer, I would see it from that side, for instance, and I'd love to go into that. But then there's also like the activist part. I'm not sure if that's what you call mm. it, but sort of the taking action part. There's also the impact part and the sustainability part. So, yeah, I'd love to just speak about maybe in a nutshell, if we could, like the different facets of Water Bear, and then we can maybe, you know, go into them as well individually. Sure. Um, tell me when you get bored. I'll start now. I will. <laughs> no, uh, no, it's 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 actually quite simple. We have a simple theory and idea that storytelling can change the system. Right? We live in a system that's broken yeah. um, in many ways. It's wonderful in so many ways, but it is broken in many ways. And I think what we want to try and use is stories to inform and inspire hearts and minds, and then drive measurable impact and action around the world. So breaking that down, we yeah. have a studio uh, where we 
tell stories. Um, we do that in kind of an interesting way. So rather than having a production company where we have bricks and mortar in-house teams, we really work in a decentralized way. So mm. we try to work with storytellers and filmmakers from the global south, from around the world. We actually have over a hundred and something different uh, agencies and storytellers and creatives and production houses that we work with. So every month, every quarter, we're putting out an RFP and we're getting these amazing ideas sent back to us from all around the world. And that's going into our slate, which is kind of ever evolving and being kind of developed and co-developed and improved and tweaked by our, our editorial leads in-house. And then what we're doing is taking that to a range of different funders around the world. So yeah. that's foundations, brands, co-producers, broadcasters, television networks, and we're trying to get as many of these stories the world needs into production. So it's really a really cool yeah. take on how to tell stories, I think. And so these are stories that are still in the development phase. They haven't reached production exactly. at all. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, sometimes we'll look at something if it's, you know, almost there mm -hmm. or it's at rough cut. We'll we'll take a look at it and see if we can add some finishing funds or we can kind of right. co-produce it or, or, or just distribute it. You know, we also take finished products, but that's through our acquisitions team. Got it. So that's when things are, you know, finished and, and looking for a home. We hope that Waterbear's that home. And, and by the time... You know, we get through our inbox of filmmakers trying to, to get their films on Waterbear now. Um, it's, a, it's a long old process because we seem to be a little bit in demand, which is kind of cool. 100%. You guys are. I mean, it's just fascinating. I'm so glad you're doing this just for, Thank you. for everyone's sake. It's a, a form of moral insanity that we justify this behavior in, in any kind of way. No one wants to talk about the animals used for shoes, bags, and clothing. We're in this system that has normalized cruelty on a massive scale. Fashion brands are selling a dream, and they don't want us to see the reality, but I have to find out what's really going on. You know, what comes to mind is, for instance, if you're organizing a film festival, you're getting like a ton of things in. You're yeah. getting either, it depends on the festival, you're getting scripts or you're getting films to, to watch. How do you manage that that uh, workflow? You know, how many people do you have like watching content every day? I just see like a booth at Waterbear where there's just like 10, like 10 to 50 people sitting with like headsets on or something yeah. going through content. We make everyone, when they come to work, they have to sit and watch an hour of content. No, we... Um, <laughs> We, it's a problem. We can't get mm. through enough. Our, our idea is to build like a council of the community. So mm. it's, we're really going to start doing this now where we get um, anyone who's out there who wants to join this, please get in touch. But uh, it's basically building a community council. So there's, you know, representatives from all different walks of life all over the world who form like a screening and editorial committee. I love it. Who can actually then help us to screen content and put kind of a rating system in place where we know things are good, fact-checked, you know, appropriate for the age groups that they're yeah. designed to talk to. And then, um, yeah, it can go through a kind of final check before it goes on the platform. But we're always looking for screening help because there's yeah. so much to do. That's incredible. So that's kind of the, the storytelling side. There's there's a lot more to say, but really it's it's that storytelling engine, that that studio engine that's then paired with a distribution network. Yeah. And that really is the crux of, of the vision. And that really is, in short, a mobile app. So we have a, a mobile app where you can watch great content and take action. And yeah. that really is the core differentiator, the core value proposition. Yeah, it's it's so it's so important, right? Because you're constantly having a conversation with the community instead of just having this top-down approach of like, watch this stuff. This is what we think you should watch, you know? Well, it's an interesting debate because I think 
in the world, obviously, things are machine-led or, you know, AI is just exploding. And I think yeah. people often use recommendation engines right. um, when you're publishing or, or, or you're a platform. But there's an interesting debate going on in our, our, our house about whether we should actually do that or whether we should be building these kind of curated content journeys mm. for people to kind of lose themselves in. Because sometimes you'll just stay in your own echo chamber, right? Exactly. And just watch stuff that is, is related to you um, or your interests. Um, yeah. But what we want to do is people to kind of broaden their horizons and get out there yeah. and, and try something they wouldn't otherwise do, which is why we focus yeah. on short form. It's why we focus on free and informational mm. and educational. Do you think you could do both, though, at the same time? Like yeah. sort of recommend and, you know, come from both sides? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. You know, the, the combination of a recommendation engine and being able to serve people content that they're going to love, mm-hmm. um, but also trying to push them to take a chance on something that they, they don't know they're going to love is, is yes. really the secret to success, I think. Yeah, and that makes me excited too, because I always have this, you know, everyone's talking about AI and like, is it going to, you know, do this to us? Take over the world. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, well, hopefully it's going to be a really cool collaboration, you know, (laughs) because it is kind of an extension of us, but it's going to become its own thing, I'm sure, one day. And then it'll hopefully, you know, come back and we can have this sort of back and forth. Of course, not every instance is going to be like that. But I do think there's there's a healthy balance that you can reach with like, getting recommendations from AI and at the same time keeping the human elements of like a community and and this kind of thing. There's a great line um, that we always talk about, which is don't be scared of AI, but be scared of humans who know how to use it really well. And I think that's that's the truth. You know, I think it's going to offer so many opportunities, Mm -hmm. um, but it's also a little bit scary for certain industries and roles and people now, because I think, you know, there's some pretty effective tools out there that we now need to master. Yeah, exactly. And we need to remember what makes us human. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what is that these days? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, for me, it's usually the little things, yeah. like a cup of coffee. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I don't think that would work quite, quite as well. It'd have the same caffeinated effect on, uh, <laughs> on no. an AI. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, cool. So you just did a brand awareness campaign in, in London. I'm not sure. Was it in other cities as well? Just in London. Okay. Yeah. yeah because I saw on social media, it was, it was all over and it was very impressive. Thank you. Um, I think one of the things was, uh, can you give me the, the tagline? What it, uh, water bear is, uh, like if Netflix and Nat Geo had a love child. Yes. Yeah. So I've, I swear I somehow explained that to someone before, like not in that exact way, but I was like saying, you know, like Netflix and then documentaries. And then, (laughs) so tell me what is encapsulated in that phrase. So the campaign itself, I mean, also a huge shout out to our team because we did a lot of that creative in-house with some, with some great audience testing, but yeah, we've got an awesome, awesome marketing team and yeah, we were very excited because not only did uh, the the advertiser actually help us out because we were accepted into their startup program. So they mm. actually tripled our media spend, which was really, really cool for us as a young business because yeah. that kind of stuff is expensive. So, yeah. you know, we, we had a had a really good run on it. And I can't tell you how many people texted me and messaged the company just going, oh, my God, we've seen Waterbear here. We've seen Waterbear yeah. there, um, which is super cool because we um, have been kind of quietly getting on with our business for two years and we've never really talked about it in that public domain Mm -hmm. so that was a big moment really really proud moment and the campaign went went great I think we tried to have some fun with it the brand itself is is cheeky you know a water bear again for those that don't know is is a micro animal it's like a tiny little tardigrade that live all over the world Um, there was this great 
moment when we launched because the BBC News was running this headline about tardigrades being found on the moon and everyone thought we had this right. orchestrated this like lunar stunt um, and we were like no that's, uh, that's just a coincidence which was brilliant so they're they're hilarious they're our kind of brand mascot they are they embody everything we think is is good in business you know when people talk about unicorns and, mm-hmm. and massive growth and you know 10x and 100x and whatever it might be we um we want to grow a bit slower be a mm. bit more resilient be a bit more holistic you know do great for the planet do great for our people do great for our investors it's really about that obviously triple bottom line so yeah to us this campaign was a massive moment it was you know announcing our arrival a little bit in one of our key markets which is the uk the creative was really leaning into the playful nature of of the water bear it's a weird looking thing yeah. it's a funky little animal that no one has a clue what it is you know we've had worms we've had some quite rude comparisons which i won't go into <laughs> um we've had fingers pointing at you it's yeah it's just our thing yeah uh, and we're gonna make it our thing nice. and, and everyone loves the water bear you know it's it's permeated modern culture it's in south park you know there's a great south park yeah. episode that talk about water bears so yeah we yeah. really lent into it we're really going for it and the colors are crazy and the the little animation that we ran across london you know was was, was yeah. really well received yeah the um natural history museum in new york had this massive water bear billboard once because yeah. they had a whole exhibition about them and this was like i don't know six seven years ago and i remember going so when uh yeah a friend a mutual friend that is works at water bear yeah. when he said it's water bear i was like oh the thing from yeah, yeah. <laughs> natural history museum it's so yeah. funny you get kind of two sides of people people who love water bears and people who have never heard of them right, right. and, and yeah, i think yeah. now our mission is to make sure everyone's everyone's heard of water bears so. well yes exactly so um, is Waterbear perhaps developing some kind of a toolkit that filmmakers could perhaps use if they want to make their work more uh, eligible or more uh, impact friendly? Have you been snooping in our bins? No, it's just what I would do. <laughs> yes, we are. Um, that's a, yeah, a great question. We, we, it's always been on the roadmap. You know, mm. we're, we're trying to, as I say, we're not trying to do everything ourselves. We really want to do this with and for the community. Yeah. So working on agency toolkits, action toolkits, guides, field guides. There's, there's great material out there now. You know, Doc Society and other kind of industry leaders yeah. are really kind of, we're big, we're big fan boys and girls of, of, of those kinds of people. But, um, you know, there's, I think there's plenty of space for, for really building toolkits for, for how to tell impact stories. One cool example, I think. We have a foundation and we, we raise philanthropic financing for impact projects in our foundation mm. as well. And one of the really cool projects that we just launched is something called 8 Billion. And this is a, a training program for young uh, storytellers from the global south. So we've just kicked off storytelling workshops across Mali, Chad and Niger. And we're just so pumped because it's like everything the team really loves is the idea of building the next generation of impact storytellers from the global south it's yeah. like so close to to why we do what we do um really opening up accessibility and, and and options to get involved for for young amazing talent that would never otherwise have the opportunity so yeah, you know we're sitting in this amazing studio in amsterdam you know this doesn't come you know it doesn't fall off the tree right you need to you need to really work at it like like we all do but i think for others it's 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 almost impossible even yeah. to get the start yeah so you've mentioned storytelling. Um, obviously, that is a big part of, of your structure. Mm. And sometimes I, I'm thinking about, you know, what kind of stories um, are we taking forward into the future? But like, where do those stories come from? So what's, 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 uh, what are we preserving, right? So for instance, um, my dad's a nature conservationist and he has this world of knowledge of nature conservation in South Africa. 
um, him and his generation. But um, some of the things they're teaching in nature conservation these days, they're not actually teaching anymore. It's, it's quite, um, the bureaucracy is quite big now and uh, there's a lot of paperwork, for instance. So there are some of these very practical, natural world things that are not getting passed on in the, in the degrees anymore, in the colleges. So yeah, I'd love to know your take on like history from the past, wisdom from the past, stories from the past. How can Water Bear take that forward into the future, for instance? The sardine run was a phenomena I'd heard about for years. That the world traveled to come see here in my country. And so wondered if I would ever have the opportunity to witness this wild world for myself. I think it's such a, a rich topic area for some incredible storytelling. You know, storytelling really is teaching. It's it's passing knowledge. It's the way that we've transferred information for millennia. Uh, and yeah. I think a space that's really emerging for us as as a network and as a storytelling company um, is this idea of indigenous wisdom and how that we can use our our platform and our agency and our contacts and our network to really elevate those those indigenous stories to to really show which doesn't really need to be shown it just needs to be remembered and felt yeah. that really the the wisdom that exists in nature in those communities on the front line of some of these major major crises is actually some of the most rich information and, and lessons we have to learn as a society so yeah. we're really trying to use our our platform to kind of bring that right to the fore you know yeah. i'm sure the way your dad worked with his hands on the ground in the field his whole life you know yeah. that that can't really be taught that's yeah. that's a lifelong journey and lesson exactly and it's trying to be able to kind of remember his work his story through mm -hmm. the medium that we work through I think is just so important yeah yeah because it's so funny you know because we have this climate crisis at the moment but it's kind of been there as well throughout the years I, f I feel like humans what we tend to do is we focus on the on the crisis at hand and we think we're the first people to come up with stuff right we're like oh I thought of this because I'm 30 or whatever but it's kind of in cycles, you know, 20 years back, people went through very similar things and we just don't know that history because we haven't, we're not in the echo chamber or whatever. Yeah, completely. I yeah. think there's, there's a lot of Kool-Aid being drunk. There's a lot of, um, this idea of originality, you know, is, mm. is, is, is something that we question quite a lot. I think you need to, to take those old narratives, those stories, those stories that have been around for a very long time and put that fresh, spin on it you need to play with format you need to play with creativity you need to yeah. play with the spokespeople the, the voices you're using to tell that story and, and shift perspective surprise people you yeah. know, I don't think many people from for example the global south um, have seen themselves in these climate stories at all right mm -hmm. it's always been camera crews going to their home right. documenting those stories capturing it and taking it back to to the, the tv sets of, of people in the global north so I think really trying to bridge that gap, trying to build agency, get kit and cameras onto the front line mm -hmm. um, is, is so fundamental to the work we do. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to know a little bit more about the films Matar and Play Hungry that are currently live on Waterbear. Sure. Um, well, Matar was this incredible project. I don't know if you saw a film called The Swimmers on Netflix. Yes. Um, amazing story of the two right. sisters. Yeah. Um, so we worked with that team okay, um, and Ahmed Malik, who was in The Swimmers, he was their cousin. Okay. Uh, he starred as Matar in our film. Um, yeah. And the film was really the story. It was scripted. So it was our first uh, kind of foray into not traditional documentary, but actually mm. docu-fiction. So scripted, but kind of very real. Um, and it was the story of Matar, this young Deliveroo driver living in the UK, trying to get a job, 
failing, you know, getting one and then getting in trouble because he didn't have the right papers, etc., etc. So just a little bit of a, uh, a, well, a very common story for many, many, many people who are trying to work as an asylum seeker in, in bigger economies around the world. So um, the key thing for us with this story was that we didn't have the authority to tell it ourselves. So we had to work with not only an incredible crew, but a crew that had lived experience of what life is like as a refugee, as an asylum seeker in 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 a big economy like the like the United Kingdom. Yeah. So we did. Um, we also created some epic um, and super powerful behind the scenes of the the journey of making this film, including all the stories of the people who worked on the film, um, which was as powerful in my view as as the actual finished product. And then we created a big premiere and and showcased the the, the story on Shaftesbury Avenue. We sold out Shaftesbury Avenue, the 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 wow. Curzon on Shaftesbury Avenue, which was really cool. Had everyone there, had the whole teams, you know, had this really kind of family vibe to it, which was really awesome. Yeah. And then over those few days after the premiere, we organized a pop-up where we had conversations and podcasts and talks and, and live performances and spoken word all running on Carnaby Street in London. So it was a really multifaceted approach. It had, you know, four or five major stakeholders, including us some big NGOs like Refugee Action and Choose Love and just some incredible people. It's amazing. So just having that energy of those people in the room was just was just incredible. And those are the types of projects we absolutely love. Yeah, you know? yeah, So yeah. if you've got stories like that, that are truly authentic, truly from a place of, of authentic authorship and, and can really kind of start to shift the needle, engage audiences about a topic, mm-hmm. um, you know, just creating a talking head documentary about the real story of XYZ yeah. didn't quite have the same, you know, wow factor as creating this kind of scripted piece that really kind of elevated the the, yeah. the story, in my opinion. What I love about this is that the film almost becomes like a gathering place. It becomes like something that's anchoring change and community and conversation. It's like, it's a film on steroids. <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It's but a movement. It, yeah, it's a movement. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's exactly it. We create these kind of tentpole movements yeah. throughout the year that, that plug into the cultural agenda, that plug into kind of the zeitgeist. And we really try to build um, stakeholder groups and NGO brand collaborations. And we get policy workers involved and we get obviously communities of, of audience involved. So it's... Yeah. That really is the sweet spot. I think that's the future of storytelling. It's yeah. it's really collaborative. It's community first. It's it's not about one person's vision. It's about the vision of a movement or the vision of a community. And that's something that we we really try to champion. Those are the films we love to fund and, and love mm-hmm. to co-produce. Yeah. Is this uh, does this tie into uh, basically what category are you guys? What do you see Water Bear being as? That's a question I'm going to flip around to the audience. I think we yeah. are we're in this process of trying to to redefine the category a bit. You know, we we are an impact media network, right? Where everything on our platform is governed by a new success metric. You know, which is really the impact that we create. It's mm-hmm. not about traditional media value of clicks and impressions and views. And there's basically great evidence now in the world to say that that does not actually drive yeah. bottom line business benefits. And actually, what it does is create a huge negative effect on 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 carbon footprint and and also creates a a kind of fake value appearance that all these companies are competing over and it's a bit silly so we're trying to redefine media create a new category and really embed impact into that category so we're looking for a snappy name because that wasn't very snappy (laughs) it's gonna come it's gonna come challenge to the audience yeah challenge to the quarter audience (laughs) awesome um and then yeah the other film so then play hungry 
geez, we've done some cool work this year. They say that uh, basketball is a religion in the Philippines, and I agree. The way we embrace the game is like no other. Play Hungry is, is a great story. I'm not going to tell you much about it because it's literally just gone live. So if you're, if you're watching this, go to Waterbear, type in Play Hungry. I hope the search function works. Um, and, and you'll find, find this incredible story about basketball players in the Philippines. And without giving the game away, these guys are training every day to try and compete with the best and go to the top basketball competitions in the world. But they're doing it while their stomachs are, are grumbling. And that's because they're... Their situation there is is tough. Um, you know, a lot of people living in abject poverty, and and you know, we really need to try and affect change in that in that area, so these professional sports people can actually you know have the fuel and nutrition they need to actually excel. So, they're still incredible basketball players, which is the amazing story. But they're they're playing hungry. Yeah. So yeah, go and check it out. So I mean, being on set, you know, uh, filming something can be a place of many water bottles and things and there's a big footprint and then you leave the place or you walk through the dunes that you're not meant to walk through we don't do that but these can happen so uh yeah does water bear um get involved with the process of sustainable filmmaking massively um this was a core principle that we we built the whole company on and actually funnily enough covid back to that again um i think accelerated everyone's ideas around sustainable filmmaking and production practices because it was it was possible to do things remote and you know directors who need to be on set which i actually do believe in you know i think being in mm -hmm. there in person does does change the game a bit but where possible you can start to create really sustainable production practices and we we did that right from the beginning so the idea of our production model was not to build a production company but to work with the best of the best in country to make sure that yeah. Not only are the storytellers who are telling a story in Ghana, if we're filming in Ghana, are Ghanaian and have an experience of what life is like there, but they are telling the story from their perspective mm -hmm. because the inherent camera angles and biases and you know creative choices that you're making without even thinking, yeah. you know, need to be um, influenced by who you are, right? So we really made a conscious effort to make our production model as sustainable as possible. We try not to travel. Everything is Albert certified, which is obviously the BAFTA industry standard mm -hmm. for for sustainability. We're also looking at how we can really go deeper than that now and really start to, as I said before, work from a place of, of lived experience. Mm -hmm. So if the story is about what life is like as an asylum seeker, you know, I have no authority to tell that story. You know, mm -hmm. we have to work with people who have been through that experience. So it really is about championing a sustainable, equitable and ethical production model that really champions right. and builds local agency for, for storytellers around the world. So if you are a filmmaker, if you are sending a response to our RFP, please, please think about that because mm. it's the thing we really look out for um, and try and find stories, obviously, that come from a totally new perspective, a fresh angle, but also it's the production practice that we're really, really passionate about. Yeah, that's really good to know. Good to know for people. Yeah, so we've been involved with many documentaries, you know. Poor funding you. is... <laughs> <laughs> it was a journey. <laughs> Uh, funding is scarce sometimes, yeah. you know, uh, when you're working on commercials and things, it's like you've got, uh, you've got a brand paying for it. So then it's, it's more, um, it's easier, but with documentaries, usually it's, it's quite a, it's quite a thing. So yeah. How do you guys go about the, the funding? It's a really good question. So when we launched the business, the, 
the first kind of philosophy was we need to be free and we need to be advertising free. So we wanted people, whoever they are, wherever you're from, whatever you do, to have access to the platform, to be able to watch great content, become inspired and build your own agency and take an action. Now that is coming to life slowly mm -hmm. but surely. Um, and a small segue into kind of the industry, you can see that the big streamers, the big platforms have over-invested massively in content and they're now figuring out you know, different monetization routes to try and pay for that content. And so we decided early on, we didn't want to take that on as a responsibility of our business. We felt that we could affect not only transformational change in the industry by getting brands to fund better stories, but we could also then match make those brands with incredible storytellers around the world. So we're yeah. spending a lot of our time curating this slate mm -hmm. and then finding great brands and trying to kind of pair these two mm -hmm. things together which is which is really hard actually yeah. But yeah because you're not making branded content no no definitely not exactly it's editorial not yeah. editorial yeah, yeah yeah exactly so it's good to be to to distinguish that yeah, yeah. No, we occasionally if there's a long-standing partner of ours that really wants us to kind of do something particular we mm -hmm. might do it um yeah. but it's not necessarily going to end up on the platform right right that's the key yeah um and to be honest we really we really focus on how we can get brands being more experimental, telling mm -hmm. stories, not their story. Mm -hmm. That's the key kind of concept. Tell stories, not your story. Um, because right. we need to kind of make stories the world needs possible. And that requires yeah. brands taking more risks, which is happening, right? Brands are mm -hmm. now starting to realize that the old days of paid media and digital marketing is changing. And they yeah. need to invest in slightly slower burn, but, you know, better, higher quality content that can work for them across all their channels, all their all their outlets, you know. So true. Yeah. Yes. Um, Thank you for sharing that. And we come with a kind of pretty cool, complete package because we have a distribution network built in. We have a bunch of filmmakers who are incredible. We have an incredible in-house team. And it's like a really cool little soup that we occasionally get to eat. You know? Exactly. That's, that's an odd, well, odd, I mean, that's an odd we're keeping it. There, we can't, there's no going I, it's back. It's because I had soup for lunch. So. <laughs> <not great>. <laughs> <laughs> um, so when looking at the platform, like visually now, I'm just like seeing it. Should I go into my Yes, go mind into your, palace. yes, Mind Palace. Did I just call my brain a mind? You did. Okay. We're getting to that yeah, point. That's from something. What was it from? I, can't remember. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, is there like a guy sitting in a room going like, this one looks good here and this one's about the ocean. Maybe we should have more land or this one. We've got too much cow stuff. Maybe now we need <laughs> elephant stuff. Um, I think you're talking about curation. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for giving me the word. That's all right. But cow stuff, I, I'm going to take back to the team. Yeah, we have a head of cow stuff in the team. <laughs> uh, Someone has to be the head yeah, of cow stuff. No, our head of cow stuff is brilliant, actually. Um, and he's actually called Helder, uh, who, is, who is a superman. So Helder's job really is to um, analyze data and trends. And we try to balance, yeah. as we said before, this idea of using data or, or, or the machine, effectively, and our own human kind of curation planning. So it really is a collaborative process. You know, yeah. we have a, a programming team who, who use that combination of data and their own kind of ideas and common sense. And then they also work really closely with our content teams, our acquisitions teams, our editorial teams, our production teams. And we're building this kind of curation committee, effectively, yeah. that really tries to put together the best um, selection of content depending on the platform right yeah. so we look at our platforms we have our mobile app which requires a certain type of experience mm. we have our fast channels which require a more linear broadcast experience and we have our obviously social channels which obviously are a wholly different beast altogether yeah. so it really is a kind of 
people don't like the word multimedia these days, mm. but it, I, I quite like it. It's kind of, it yeah. is multimedia. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Any plans for VR? Or Watch AR? the space. Yeah. Watch the space. Um, yeah. I think one of our big dreams is, is we are all nature lovers. We're all absolutely passionate about the natural world. And I think for us, if we can bridge the digital with the physical experience, and yeah. if, if AR or hologram technology is the way to do that, that's brilliant. But I think for us, it's about trying to get people out there doing stuff, whether yeah. that's digitally on their phone, with their hands and then with their feet out in the bush or, you know, through through VR or AR, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll try it all. We've got some interesting discussions going on, so kind of watch this space. Yeah, awesome. But I really want, you know, it's about deeply connecting with people and yeah. there's a spectrum of connection, right? Um, I might coin that phrase, spectrum of connection. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I think, you know, film is such a great tool, but, you know, reality is better. Yeah, 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 <laughs> cool. Water bear, five years from now, me on a beach with a pina colada, not in a plastic cup. No, I, I think we're all slaves. We're all slaves to the mission. Um, yeah. Our big dream is we have some incredible investors. We have some incredible uh, advisors and the community around us kind of internally that mm -hmm. really, I think, share a long-term horizon. They, they want this to be a thriving community of brands, NGOs, individuals, citizens, yeah. policymakers, filmmakers, storytellers. They want that, you know, holistic. Yeah community to come together so i think in five years time you know we're, we're still going to be at it you know yeah. working hard there's no plans for a, a quick exit or you know changing the game we just want to build this absolutely incredible impact-based community and, and and see it thrive and hopefully do something yeah. pretty great for the planet in the meantime is there anything about you or the work you do that you'd like people to know that you don't talk about much I often discuss the concept of balance with people. And I think everyone goes, Sam, you have such an awful work-life balance. And, you know, maybe that's true. And I think rest, recovery, disconnection, mindfulness, meditation are all amazing. But you always have to remember everyone's balance is different, yeah. right? And I think you need to celebrate difference. You need to celebrate the different attitudes you have in your teams and if some people want to work late and some people want to come in early you need to find a way to do that yeah. right one blanket rule for everyone is not the way business works my one thing i'd love people to know is, is everyone's balance is different yeah thank you for sharing i'm consistently impressed with you guys thank you it's just great <laughs> <laughs>